In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 71, which along with Psalm 70 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, July the 29th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our study in the life of David. We're in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 4, the first 12 verses there. Also in the book of Acts, verse, uh, chapter 16, verses 25 to 40, and the Gospel of Mark, the first 23 verses of chapter 7. So <clears throat> remember that what, what all has happened in this, um, this saga of David becoming the king of all of Israel uh, remember that that Ishbosheth had been uh, one of Saul's sons had been set up as uh, the king of eleven uh, tribes. David is the king of Judah, one tribe, and then uh, Abner, the kingmaker, had had come to David and and uh, offered to make him king over all Israel. And then, as he's leaving Hebron, where David's uh, living now, as he's leaving Hebron, Joab, the commander of David's army murdered him by stabbing him in the stomach. And so now Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. <clears throat> Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Bana and the other was Rechab. They were sons of Remen, a man of Benjamin from Beerath. Beerath is also counted part of Benjamin. They fled to Gitim and had been sojourners there to that day. So Jonathan the son of Saul, who was David's best friend, who in whom, into whom, uh, or with whom, <laughs> David had a covenant relationship to provide for his family forever. Uh, Jonathan had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and the nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So now we're just being told about who's left in Saul's family. So uh, when the sons of Remen the Berethite, Rechab and Bana, set out, <coughs> and about the heat of the day, they came to the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest. So these were men worked for Ishbosheth. And so they come just as he's taking his midday rest. They came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach and killed him. So he, as he lay on his bed in the bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him. They took his head and went by the way of the Arabah through the wilderness all night long. And they come to David and they bring the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they say, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord this day on Saul and his offspring. Well, the Lord didn't. You did. And that's David's response to these two men. What in the world were you thinking? Did you not hear the story about the Amalekite who came and told me that he had killed Saul, even though it was at Saul's request? Did you hear what I did to him? I killed him because he dared raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. What in the world possessed you to think that if I did that to that Amalekite for what he did, that I wouldn't do the same to you? Did you, did you miss this story entirely? <clears throat> At least Saul was dying. You murdered an innocent man, and you think this is okay. 
uh, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? I mean, I, I don't know who these people thought David was. But the Lord avenged my Lord the king this day on Saul and his offspring. No, you came against the Lord's anointed. You, you did this thing that was horrible. You're not even really Israelites. You're counted as Israelites through Benjamin where you're living, but you're not. And, and why you would think that killing him was a good thing that would win you favor in my eyes is just beyond David's ability to comprehend. People so misunderstood David and what it meant that, that he and Saul were enemies. The honest truth is he didn't consider himself, he didn't consider Saul to be his enemy. He considered that he was Saul's enemy, but David didn't consider himself the enemy of Saul. He wouldn't have raised a hand against him. He had opportunities to and didn't. If you want to know what Jesus is getting at when he says, love your enemies, this is it. This is it. David, even though Saul considered David an enemy, David didn't consider Saul an enemy. And, and that's the important thing. It doesn't matter what, what people consider us. We're intended to be exactly the opposite of that. We're, we're not intended to have enemies. That's the whole point of love your enemies is don't have enemies. Don't consider anybody your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself, whether they consider you an enemy or not. Treat them as though they're not. React to them as though they're not. Don't fight back against people because the intention is to bring them to the Lord. And they bear the image of God. And so we're not to consider one another enemies. We're, we're to, to consider that we have an enemy, but that enemy is a spiritual enemy. And that's the real problem. That's the real problem in the world, right? Is, is that, that people... Um, don't believe in him, don't believe they were creating the image of God, therefore the rules, the commandments of God, don't apply. Because, well, I'm not one of them anyway. There is no God. I don't believe in these things. Well, we are by showing them that we don't consider people enemies, we consider them our neighbor, then we flip the script, and we're showing that we believe something radically different. Our worldview is incredibly different because we fight spiritual battles, not personal ones. We allow the Lord to deal with these things the way that he chooses it. And that's how David did things. And so David commanded his young men, and they killed him and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them besides the pool, beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. He treated, it, him, he treated Ishbosheth with respect as well. It, it's, it's not difficult to understand this stuff, but, but David was a man after God's own heart, and he had to show people the way. What does it mean to be a man of God? Well, it means I'm not going to go against God's people in any shape, form, or fashion. And it's important that, that we, if we're leaders in any shape, form, or fashion in our lives, then we need to, to be like David in this way. And so the Pharisees now gather to Jesus they're not gathering because they want to hear him. They gather there because they want to keep an eye on him and they want to know what charge can we bring against him. And they brought some of the scribes from Jerusalem as well. And then, so what do they do? They see that some of the disciples ate with their hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And then it goes on to a parenthetic about, you know, they keep these weird laws and traditions and all this kind of stuff. In the Gemara uh, of the Babylonian Talmud, 
there, there are all kinds of things. I mean, the tractates on hand washing in the Talmud are unbelievable. It's just they're so descriptive and, and tell exactly how much water to use and, and from what vessel you can use the water and all this kind of stuff. They considered, honestly, in the, in the Talmud, they considered that, that this hand-washing thing before meals was so important that neglecting it was exactly like unchastity. It was like cheating on your spouse, and it risked divine punishment in the form of sudden destruction or poverty. And the rabbinic law actually required that travelers go as far as four biblical miles to obtain water for washing prior to eating bread if there's a known water source there. I mean, it, it's it, the, there's a huge requirement for this. There's there's almost no exemption. If there's any water within four miles, you've got to go get it, and you've got to wash your hands before you eat. And so it's a, it seems to us like a silly kind of a thing that they're saying, but in their world, it's an incredibly important practice, and it risks utter defilement that they've done this. And, and so they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. Do you know how um, difficult that would be? to say i mean not too many people would respond to the pharisees that way because because when what he talks of as the traditions of men it's the oral law that they believe was handed down to moses at sinai by god so when jesus calls this a tradition of men it is phenomenally offensive to them they believe that the oral law has every bit as much force as the written law and you're as liable for keeping it as you are the written law. So he goes on to say, you find a way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And then he goes on to talk about honor your father and mother. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God already, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And then Jesus then begins to talk about nothing that goes into a person can defile, from the outside can defile him. It's only the stuff that comes out of a person because that comes from the heart. And that's this whole thing about don't, don't call your brother a fool. Don't, do the, don't hate your brother from your heart. Jesus is very consistent about that. He says what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and murder. It's an overflow of the heart. And I heard a sermon one time about um, a friend of mine was telling me, I guess it was his father that had preached the sermon, and he said, my cup runneth over. And the question is, with what? If your cup is full and it gets bumped, what is it that comes out? You know. So if somebody offends you or whatever, then, then what is it that comes out of your mouth? How, how are, the, you know, are you going to just tee them up and let them have it? And because what it's saying is, is that, that we need to be filled with peace and we need to fill with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so that we can respond from that place and not from the natural man place. But Jesus would, I mean, all the things he says here are so offensive, it's unbelievable. He is completely negating <coughs> the oral law when he says that. And he's saying this didn't come from God. 
That's a tradition of man. That, that's a blow. I mean, that's a serious blow at what Judaism believes. <coughs> he's affirming the word of God written, but he's not affirming the oral law at all. <coughs> it's amazing how <coughs> straightforward Jesus is about that and how, and in such strong terms that he condemns this, these practices and the, the oral law. And it's the yoke <coughs> that he's talking about that they tie on men. And that's the reason he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because it doesn't involve all that stuff. Um, these are things that you've invented. The fence, <coughs> or the fence says, you've put around the law. And he said, it's, it, it, no, it's simpler than that. You just need the Holy Spirit. That replaces all that stuff that you've got <coughs> codified in the oral law. That um, it, it, it's, it's incredibly important that we get that right, that we not add to the law, that we not take away from the law as well, but we don't add to it by placing burdens on people that, that people are not able to bear. Um, you, you have a prayer life, <laughs> and, and you know, and you can have the Holy Spirit, and you can know what it is God's calling you to do and what it is that's required of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have all these extrapolations of the law. Just as David knew, he knew how to love his enemies. He knew how to, how to do that without anybody teaching him, but it was baffling to everybody around him. They assumed that he would react certain ways to things when David wasn't thinking what they thought at all. And it's because he's being led by the Holy Spirit. And here we have the... the end of the story about the Philippian uh, encounter, let's say. They, they remember Paul and Silas and, and Luke and whoever were put into prison because they uh, were teaching things that are not allowed for Romans to do. And as I told you yesterday, they, they, they had a perfect right to teach what they were teaching within the Roman Empire because it was, a, it was illicit religion. It was allowed under Roman law. And so they're in prison, and, and there they are singing... <laughs> and praying and the prisoners were listening and suddenly there's a great earthquake the foundations of the prison were shaken and when all the doors are open and everyone's bonds are unfastened and the jailer wakes up sees the prison doors open drew his sword and was going to kill himself because he just knew that the prisoners had escaped and that would have been his punishment what was that he would have been put to death for failing to do his job for dereliction of duty essentially and it probably would have been much more painful than what he was getting ready to do himself but Paul cries out and says don't harm yourself we're all here the jailer called for lights and rushed in trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas so he he knew who these men were and what their messages were about he says sirs what must I do to be saved and they said believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved you and your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And so he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So he provides water for washing here to wash the wounds of Paul and Silas, who had been beaten, remember. And then they, in turn, take the water and they pour it on him. And they baptize him and his family with that water. And he is saved salvation has come to this man what looked like the worst possible thing to the um, 
the apostles here would have been going to prison. And yet they find the man here who will become essentially the head of the church in Philippi. Now they finally got a male head for that church. And what seemed like the worst possible thing to the jailer turns out to be the thing that brings him salvation. <clears throat> and so they all believe after Paul and Silas preached the word of God to him. And in the morning, then the magistrates send the police saying, let them go. Because I'm sure they found out. Actually, Judaism is something we're unfamiliar with, but it turns out that it's okay for them to preach that stuff. We just didn't know because we don't have a lot of Jewish people here. And so the jailer tells Paul that they've sent to let him go. He said, you can go and, and go in peace. Paul said, nah, I don't think so. They beat us publicly. Uncondemned. We hadn't, we hadn't done anything wrong, Neither, nor had they even charged us with having done anything wrong. And we're Roman citizens, by the way. We have rights. We're not foreigners. You may not know who we are. You may not know about Judaism. But that ain't the way this is going to work. They, they, they can't now do this secretly and let us go. No, tell them to come and get us out. And so they did. They came and apologized and took them and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And then they encouraged them and departed. It, it, Paul demanded that he be treated with respect. He, he demanded that he be, be accorded the rights that he was due under Roman law. It's not wrong for us to insist upon our rights in a legal setting. None at all. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And, and here in America, we have constitutionally given or constitutionally recognized rights because those rights don't come from government. They come from our creator, but they're recognized that the government then has a duty and a responsibility to make sure that those rights are not infringed upon. And so we, need, we do the same thing. We don't, we don't have, um, f we have freedom of religion. It's not freedom to worship, it's freedom of religion. We, we can practice our religions, not just in private, in worship services, but in public as well. And we have a public right to proclaim that truth as well. It's important for us to, to recognize what our rights are. The, the laws are given for good reasons. And, and the, even, the, even the civil law is given for good reasons. Jesus never uh, uh, spoke out against civil law, nor did he... Uh, speak out against the law of God. What he did was speak out about the traditions of men, the things that men had added to God's law. And he said those things are not inspired. And so we need to be careful about what we're, uh, what we consider to be law, and and we need to transcend the law, in the way that David did, in the way that Jesus commended, which is to say, I don't have enemies. And, and if you killed the Lord's anointed, then then this is going to fall on your head, not on me. But, but you've misunderstood who I am and what I am. And you've misunderstood everything about the law itself if you think that it was a good thing to murder an innocent man because you thought he was my enemy. And it's important that we understand the law the way that Jesus taught it and the way that David lived it, frankly. In, in many cases, I mean, David's certainly not perfect, but, but it's important for us to have a proper understanding of the law and its purpose in our lives.